Samuel chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading in just a moment, beginning with verse 19, 1 Samuel 4 and 19. Our next encounter, by the way, will probably be in September, so um, we're looking at the calendar and seeing if we can't schedule that, and if you'd like to come to the next one, you can keep that in mind. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 19. One of my favorite moments each week is the moment on Wednesday afternoons at 4.30 when I get to access a conference call with a group of pastors all over the nation. That's my connect group, so to speak. And uh, it's led by Pastor Aguilard and we're able to interact and he instructs and there's interaction, all kinds of things take place and it's just a really great time for me and a meeting with some of my peers. And as we were just sharing and listening this past Wednesday, uh, the discussion came up amongst a group of pastors as to just some of the things they've been noticing, church life across the nation. And we just started to talk about how people... And we won't, even, we won't even challenge sincerity or genuineness, but it just appears as if folks will come forward and they'll make decisions or they'll come forward in order to make a commitment or they'll respond to the word that was taught or preached. And yet, even though they express a need, even though they may pray a prayer, even though they had the courage to step out from where they were seated and present themselves at an altar at a church, it seems as if more and more, the norm is no longer seeing transformation, but the norm is is that people walk out and there's really no distinguishable difference. Uh, we're not casting blame, we're just asking the question, why is that? And as we were bouncing it around and folks were talking, we really came to the conclusion as a group of pastors, is that, and that is that the only thing that can really change a person and if you don't hear anything else I tell you this morning, this would probably be the best thing for you to write down and to keep. The only thing that can really change a person is the presence of God. It's the glory of God. It is the only thing that can really change a person. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and again, these may be on the screen or you can write them down, but it, but it says that all of us are being transformed we behold it says as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and when you behold the glory of the Lord you're being transformed into that same image the word transform in the literal Greek means to metamorphosize you know in science class when the caterpillar cocoons itself and comes out a butterfly literally the Greek word is metamorpho and it means great change massive change and so when you behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, you will be metamorphosed or you will be transformed into something different. I mean, you started as one thing, but you're becoming another thing. And then it says from glory to glory, you can be transformed. But it's the glory of God or it's the presence of God that brings that transformation. So we will never really be right. Listen to me now. You'll never really be whole. You'll never really be transformed. You'll never really be changed. You'll never really be delivered until you have an encounter 
with his presence. Are you with me? If all we get is information, what you become is smarter bound people. Are you with me? If all you get are more notes, more knowledge, more information, you become an intellectualized, oppressed person. And the only thing that can change that is the presence of God. Now, listen to me. It's not to say that teaching's not important. It's not to say that. It's not to say that knowing the word is not important. I'm not diminishing those aspects of what we need to input ourselves with as disciples. I'm just simply saying that God, God is the only one that can reach into your insides and change what's in there. Few of us today really understand or have really experienced glory. Glory is a synonym for his presence. If the glory of God shows up, what it's, the Bible's saying is, is that the presence of God has showed up. And people confuse glory and anointing. They confuse these two things. They can look initially very similar, but we confuse them. Let me give you just an example. Both of these things are good, so to speak, but there's a difference between the two. This is how I describe the difference between anointing and glory. Anointing is like if you were to, you know, rub your feet across the carpet. Novi, come up here. No, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. If, if you rub your, yeah, you are. It, but if I rub my feet across the carpet, you know what could potentially happen. And I'll say, stick your hand out here. And, and I could get close to her hand and there'd be just a little shock. That would, you know, that's called static electricity. Well, using that image, imagine that as anointing. That's static electricity. Glory is what happened to me one time when I was testing an electrical panel that had no, amp- that had no amperage in it, but it was connected to over 440 volts of electricity. And, and I had a, a, a screwdriver, I believe, and I hit a wrong contact, and there was, there was a a surge of electricity that went down this arm. And, and you pull it off. 440 volts. If there'd have been any amperage on it, I'd have been dead right there on the spot. But that 440 volts so, so did something to my arm that for the next 24 hours, this arm wasn't right. Anointing is shuffling your feet and getting a little glory is when something has changed. You need to understand that difference. Because we want to live off the anointing when God says what you need is the glory. I cannot count the number of times that I have received a carpet shock of God's work in my life. And every time I get a carpet shock... I tend to forget. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I mean, all of you, have everybody here experienced some form of static electricity at some time? Everybody here has done that, right? I mean, can you even begin to number or write down all the times somebody, you know, did this with their feet and, and give you a little zip? You wouldn't remember that a day or two later. That's what's happening in church life. There's a little anointing that shows up. We get our static electricity carpet shock, and a day or two later, we don't even remember it happened anymore. When God says, I want to send my glory, because I'll guarantee you that 440 jolt into my arm is indelibly etched in my brain. I mean, that moment and that experience taught me one thing. You don't put a screwdriver up to a live contact. 
and think you're going to walk away the same human being. And so we've got to understand that the reason there's no transformation is not because there's no anointing. There's probably anointing in the room. But anointing is only as good in as much as it causes us to acknowledge God is here. But when glory shows up, glory changes who you are. And I need, and you do too, to be changed in who we are. So it's my proposition that the reason we have such a struggle retaining and receiving and maintaining spiritual progress is because we have been groomed to settle for anointing instead of crying out for glory. Many of you have been touched by an anointing. Some of you can remember services where there was an anointing and you were touched by an anointing. But some of you have been touched by anointing so many times you can't even remember all of the times you were in a service and an anointing came and and you were touched by it and it helped and it encouraged and all these things took place. But I want to suggest to you that if we want to be manifested sons and daughters of God, if, if if we want to be able to look at a world or a community and be able, not in haughtiness or arrogance, but with just a sense of credibility... To say, you know what, God's done something in my life. And I know you know who I was, but you can take a look at now who I am. And I got here, not because I'm smarter than you, but because I got into the presence of God. And when I got into his presence, I was totally, totally changed. Now here in 1 Samuel chapter 4, let me give you just a little bit of background as we get started. Samuel is is born. He has just recently come on the scene. And so Samuel is representing this prophetic voice that God is wanting to put into the midst of Israel. So Samuel has been born. He's coming on the scene. But, but God is still having to deal with what the current religious culture of Israel is all about. And, and you can read it for yourself in those first four chapters. The, the priests are corrupt at several different levels. Uh, the Bible says that they weren't even right with God. They were doing their, their priestly duties, but they weren't even right before God. The Bible says that as the people would bring their sacrifices, that they would literally take the sacrifice, and some of the sacrifices would be, so to speak, barbecued on the altar, and other sacrifices would be boiled. But the Bible tells us that they wouldn't allow the whole process of consuming the sacrifice to take place. They were literally taking the meat off the altar, or taking the meat out of the, the boiling uh, uh, pot. And, and they would begin to consume it on themselves. And so they were literally robbing God of his sacrifice. If, if you can't connect the dots, that's like people giving their tithes and their offerings. And instead of using it to steward the house of God, they were consuming it on themselves. The Bible tells us that they were waiting at the doors. And they were picking out women whom they wanted to sleep with. They would refuse correction from those that were over them in the Lord. It's where we find the story of Eli's sons. And, and so Eli you know, made a feeble, I, I always think it was a pretty feeble attempt at trying to correct what was going on. But they wouldn't listen to that. And, and, and Eli represents those who are in authority, who would honor the flesh more than they would honor God. And so Eli did little to begin to restore the integrity of what was going on in the the priesthood. And is it any surprise that in the midst of all of these challenges and difficulties, that Israel was faced with a battle that they weren't prepared to win? 
And the Philistines, their mortal enemy, longtime enemy, show up coming to fight. And, and the nation of Israel was in such sad spiritual shape that the Philistines easily won. In fact, the Philistines said, can we win this battle? Because even they had enough sense to know that if Israel was right before God, there was no way that they were going to win in any battle. But they soon discovered that the nation wasn't right before God. And so they went in and they attacked and they, they were able to uh, overcome the Israelites and win the battle. And they literally captured the Ark of the Covenant. They captured the Ark and as would happen on a couple of different occasions, they would carry the Ark back to their nation. And the Bible tells us that when word came back to Eli, he was an old man, an old priest by that time. The word tells us that as the, the news of Israel's defeat came back to Eli, and when they told Eli that the ark of the Lord had been captured by the Philistines, I don't know if it was an act of God or whether it was of just such incredible uh, discouragement that he fell over, the Bible says, of his stool, and he broke his neck, and there Eli died. And it was just after this incident that his sons had died, now Eli has died, and Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, it says here in verse 19, says his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth. For her labor pains came upon her. I can only assume that means there was such grief that began to come, come upon her that, that it threw her into labor. Verse 20, and about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. The glory has departed. Now, I'll be candid. This is where the American church is today, right here. We have a lot of activity. you got to understand, when the ark was captured, they still went about their activity. All their religious activity continued despite not having an ark. Now, there's nothing wrong with most of what we do. But the problem is, is that we do what we do when there's no glory around. There is corruption. There is issues of no one wanting to correct it or talk about it. No one sees the need to repent anymore. We just close our eyes and we never call things what it is do you understand that God's watching all of this and he says I must raise up a Samuel in the midst of this in order to bring a voice to the mess in order that we can bring it back into what I designed it to be so the glory will be back in the midst of the nation of Israel and it will change this people and folks I'm telling you God is going to raise up you can shake your head and think I've lost my mind, but God is raising up a prophetic voice in this hour. The spirit of Samuel has to come back to America that will begin to call the nation and call the church back to a place where they'll begin to cry out for the glory of God. 
I mean, we just get a few good messages and we get a feel-good thing going on. And if there's just enough anointing, anointing in the place that we can say, boy, I got my little buzz, we're okay. But God says, unless my glory comes, nobody will change. God's not out just to tickle you. He's out to change you. He's not to make a better you. He's trying to kill you to raise up a new you. That's the Bible. But the glory has departed. And I hear so many times folks say, well, you know, I, I know what I need. I, I need this ministry and I need this opportunity and I need this program. And I, I, I need, I need, I need. What you need is glory. Can I just tell you 10 seconds in God's presence can probably do more good for all of us than 10 years in college or 10 years in a program. We need the glory of God. It's the glory that will set you free. It's glory that needs to come and break your bondage. I can't teach you out of a bondage. Are you hearing me? I can't teach you into wholeness. I can't, I can't transform your heart because I give you more information. I can't clean your spirit because I just had a word that caused you to feel good. I can't heal your body because I just gave you more information. I can't mend a marriage because we just downloaded some more stuff to give to you. Now, we need to understand, I thank God for everything that we do, even in this local church. I mean, we have a, a process, you might even call it a program if you want to. I mean, we have a process. We, we take people uh, through encounters and we, we, we encourage them to go to a post-encounter or dis, discipleship classes and their school of leaders and, and, and we try to teach you and preach to you and there's worship service and all these things even here at Legacy take place. But I'll just say it as the pastor, if there's no glory, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Some churches are very skilled. They're very professional at activity. Anything can become simple activity. What we do here will become simply activity without glory. I also understand that you can pitch a little makeshift tent like David did. You know, that's the most amazing thing. When David got the ark back from the Philistines, what he did for a season was he just pitched a little tent in his backyard. And he put the ark underneath it. He put worshipers and praisers around it 24-7. And it wasn't very elaborate. It wasn't elaborate as the temple. It wasn't elaborate as even the tabernacle. It wasn't organized. There wasn't really much adherence to all the particular rules that God put in place with regards to the tabernacle. It was not nearly as up-to-date and classy as what they had had at another time. But when David just had a heart after God and he just wanted to do his best with the ark, the glory of God showed up in his backyard. I was reading again, Colossians 1.27. Guys, if you've got that, just flash that on the screen. I don't want to run all those verses down. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> Colossians 1.27, it says, To them God willed to make known... What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I, I want you to remember, because we taught this a number of weeks ago, that incredible power in you. Remember that? How much of what God has for you is available in you because God lives in you. But I was struck this week by the word hope. Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. The hope of glory. Everyone say hope. You know what hope says to me? Hope says to me that there's potential. Not automatic. There's potential. So the question is, if Christ is in me, the hope of glory, then how do I turn this potential into something that's reality? How does this glory, this presence, turn from hope and begin to manifest? How can I access more than a a carpet buzz and get 440 voltage going in my system to change me? Because the carpet buzzes aren't changing me. And here's the key to his glory. The key is not how smart, it is not how sharp, it is not how with it you are. Listen to me, here's the key to glory. Listen, open up your ears, hear me. The key to glory is not how smart you are, how sharp you are, how with it you are. It is how dead you are. Amen. I'll just give you an Old Testament illustration. Once a year, the high priest would come and offer sacrifice before the Lord on the Day of Atonement. In fact, he would gather the sacrifice and they would take great pains to make sure that he was in proper relationship with God and he was in a proper condition in order to go into the most holy place, in order to sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. They would literally keep him up all night long the night before he would walk in in order that he couldn't have an accidental dream that would somehow defile him from going into the very presence of God. Because if he were to go into the presence of God in any way, shape, or form, uh, not right in how he presented himself, what they did was they put a bell at the end of his robe and they tied a rope around his leg. And if he didn't come out when he was supposed to come out, the assumption was that he stood before God in wrong standing and he would die. And in order to get him out, They would have to drag him out with the rope. God doesn't have nearly as big a problem with death as we do. You know why that is? It's because he can resurrect it. That's why it's no problem to him. But he would come if he was in right standing and and he would offer sacrifice. And you've got to understand, sacrifices were given. And and as you would sacrifice the animal, there would be smoke and and, and there would be the smell and, and how many of you barbecue? I mean, you know when you barbecue? You're doing your barbecue, and whenever I barbecue, I always change clothes because whenever I'm done, I smell like what I barbecued because that smoke gets on you. It's that smell of death. And, and that smell of death would get on the high priest, and, and he would present the blood and the sacrifice. And as he would present it, the Bible says that there were numerous occasions That the manifest presence of God would come. The glory of God would come in a cloud sometimes. Other times it would come as fire. There were moments in the scripture where they didn't even have to light the altar. They would put the sacrifice on it and fire would come from the sky and consume it sovereignly. I mean, God, there's something about death that God dwells around. The more death, the more flesh that would arise unto God and he would smell it. He would move closer and closer and closer. You've got to understand that God doesn't come to living flesh. You know why God doesn't come to living flesh? It's because living flesh reeks of the world. But you get flesh that has died, flesh that has been put on an altar, flesh that has reached a place where it has been consumed by the fire. Now, he'll be drawn to that. That's what draws the presence of God. The New Testament tells us that there is a sacrifice as unto the Lord. 
It's the equivalent of the Old Testament death. The Bible says these three things, repentance, brokenness, and humility. I'll say that again, repentance, brokenness, and humility. If God sees that, he will come to you. If he sees those qualities in his people, he will move. And the more he sees it, the more he'll race to it. It says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. If you don't believe me, it's right there in the Bible. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. How many know brethren means us? The world's not my brother. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And it says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we're serious about getting glory back, we're going to have to know that it's going to cost us a trip to the altar. Are we ready to enter into true brokenness and humility? All of the people that testified here this morning, I can assure you they went through a process that before they ever came to the place where they said, God has done a work in me of delivering me and causing me to be made whole and setting me free. What is it that we do on Friday night and Saturday morning? We prepare you for repentance and for brokenness and for humility. And when you can present yourself that way to God, his glory will come to you you and it will change you that's the only thing that can change you that's your that's your only hope it's the only answer nothing else can change you and what God's looking for is a church and he's looking for a people that have so committed themselves to these precepts of becoming living sacrifices presenting themselves before God in repentance and brokenness and humility that that figuratively yet literally he begins to smell the smoke of flesh beginning to burn filling up his his nose and you, you see that's what we talk about limping not strutting that's when we that's when we talk about yielding and, and not resisting that's the moment God can say, I can sweep in with my presence. You see, the fire only fell when there was a sacrifice on the altar. Did you hear that? The fire only fell when there was a sacrifice on the altar. Fire will never fall on empty altars. We've got to present ourselves to be consumed by his presence. And if you're hungry for the fire to fall, if you desire the presence and the glory of God then all you have to do is just crawl your way up on the altar and say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever it takes. Some of you have come, I know, to altars before and presented yourself, but I'm telling you, you've got to come with a heart full of repentance and brokenness and humility and say, Lord, I'll present myself on this altar and you're at liberty now to consume me with your presence. And then you know what begins to happen? Then we can turn back to Isaiah chapter 60. And then we get the prophecy that the prophet said in the last days would come. He said these words, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. See, that's when the glory shows up. This isn't because we're so strong and we're so with it and we've got our act totally together. It's when God's people begin to yield when God's people begin to humble, and when God's people enter into repentance. That's why he said, if my people, which are called by my name, will do what? Humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Then he says, will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land? The light of that fire is the glory. The glory will be the final revival. The final revival isn't coming to the people who've got their act together or they're faking it or they're not being real before God and they're dodging God and they're living in darkness and they're, they're living in hiddenness. That's not where the final revival is coming to. It's coming to the people who will say before God, Lord, you see it all. I repent from everything that displeases you. I'm broken before you. I humble myself. I am nothing. You are everything. I must decrease so that you can increase. And when that happens, be prepared to see God's glory sweep in in a way that it's never swept in before. God's raising up voices like that. I'm praying that God somehow puts an anointing in the earth that will give us the ability to have eyes to see and ears to hear that will prepare the way for the glory of God. Years ago, I told the story, and I'm done with this. I grew up Methodist too, so all of you Methodists out there, God bless you. You know, when Methodism got started, it wasn't half bad. I have all of Wesley's works. I've read all of his journals, all of Charles's journals as well. And uh, Wesley, many people don't know this, but Wesley initially came to America in the early 1730s. Actually came to the Savannah area and Georgia, and he began to preach to the Indians. And as he preached to the Indians, he didn't see much fruit off of his labor. Uh, he, he reckoned it to the fact that the Indians just weren't into his high Anglican ways. They didn't understand all of that. He was most discouraged. He ended up jumping a ship, going back to England. He met a Moravian missionary by the name of Peter Bolaire. And as he was on the deck of the ship commiserating with Bolaire, Bolaire looked at him and this is what he said. He said, you've got to preach faith till you get it. And it just kept stirring in his mind and in his spirit. The Bible tells us that on May 24th, 1738, 9.45 in the evening, he left his house walking down Aldersgate Street. He was going to a prayer meeting being held by his brother. And it was there that he heard out of a second story window the epistle to the Romans being read out loud. And he said it was at that moment that the Spirit of God began to deal with him. And he said the famous words, I felt my heart strangely warmed. He went on to the prayer meeting. The glory of God was there. It radically changed John Wesley. Listen to me now. He'd been a missionary. He was a pastor. He'd been doing the work of the church and the work of the kingdom. And yet something wasn't right. And suddenly after that point, his whole ministry began to change. Until it reached the place when he came back to America... The history books tell us that literally people would leave the confines of the comfortable church buildings and they would go and listen to Wesley Field preach. Literally thousands of people on Sundays would leave the comfortable settings of their created churches and they would march out to hot fields in southeastern America 
and they would listen to Wesley preach the word of God in fields. And somebody asked him one time, they said, why is that? We don't understand. Why would people leave the comfortability, even in that era, of sitting in a climate-controlled building? When I say climate-controlled, I'm just simply saying, you know, they were out of the sun. They could open the windows and a breeze would come through. They would have all of the amenities that they would have in the mid-18th century with regards to, to program and ministry and all that took place at that particular time. And it really was a puzzle to many, many people as to why thousands, literally thousands of people would leave that in order to stand, can you imagine, in an open field, straining their hearing in order to listen to this field preacher. They didn't understand that. And they asked him one day, they said, why in the world would people do that? And his answer is forever one of the most famous quotations in all of history. This is what he said. He said, God lights John Wesley on fire. And the people come to watch him burn. If we want the fire to fall, the people will come to watch us burn. If you want God to bring something into your life, you get the glory on your life and it'll be a magnet for everything you thought you ever needed or wanted. By that time, it won't matter because all you want is him. God wants to light us on fire. He's doing that in this day, but he will not send his fire to empty altars. He'll send his fire to those who cry out for it. Amen. I want you just to stay seated for a moment. Right where you're at. I don't want you moving unless it's an absolute emergency. Just hang with me for a moment or two. Holy Spirit, talk to our hearts this morning. You have so blessed me by listening to these testimonies that were shared by these people whom you have dramatically touched. Lord, I know what it took for them to get to the place where they could stand up in front of a congregation and say, God, you've wrought a work in my life. Lord, you took them to the place of repentance. You took them to the place of brokenness. You've taken some of them through brokenness, the likes of which they've never experienced before. You've taken them to the place of great humility. And now you've wrought a work in their heart that they've never experienced before. Oh God, would you give us a revelation of that this day? Lord, would you begin to do what no man can do? I can't do that. Lord, I do my best to communicate in a way that would keep people's attention. I try, I try to reach out and provide opportunity that people can reach out to God. I do everything I know to do with the materials that you've entrusted to me to help give people that opportunity. But truth of the matter is, Lord... I can, I can create all kinds of activity and it is worthless unless your glory comes. Unless your presence shows up. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I don't want you to visit, I want you to dwell. I don't want you just to come in and go and come in and go. I want you just to set up shop, would you please? And just move amongst us and live amongst us. Lord, I ask now that you would work in the hearts of people. I don't know that you need many. I'd like to think it'd be everybody. But you don't need many that would say, I'm ready to put myself 
on an altar and let the fire fall. Lord, do that in us, would you? I don't want to be another church. Lord, this city doesn't need another church. It needs the glory of God. It needs the glory of God. Tell you what, let's do. This is how I want to end this morning. Just you stay seated. And you can do this right where you are. But if, but if you're ready to put yourself on an altar, I'm not asking you to come to these altars. I'm asking you just where you're seated. If that's something you want to do, you can just slip down right where you're at and turn around and turn that chair into an altar and just say, Lord, I, I'm going I'm to turn this into my personal altar and I'm going to get on the altar right now. I want the glory to come. If that's you, if not, you can, no, there's no condemnation here. But it's just God's talking to you. You're ready for the glory of God to come into your life. You can just slip around just for a moment. And I want you right there as you're just slip, slipping around. I want you just to begin. You yourself. You yourself. Don't link up to me right now. But you yourself just for a moment begin to call out to God. And say, Lord, I'm entering into a repentance. A life of repentance. A life of brokenness. And a life of humility. You're not asking for strong people. You're asking for people who are weak in themselves so they can be strong in you and that's me and that's me that's me consume me consume me consume me consume me consume me let not the glory depart we call upon you to send the glory as Moses of old said, show me, Lord, show me your glory. We can go no further, Lord, unless your glory comes. Let your glory come. Let your glory come. Hallelujah. Just take a moment. Just take a moment and say, Lord, that's me. I'm, I'm giving you everything. God's talking to some of you right now. There are things that have been in darkness and things that God's talked to you about and you've just resisted just letting it go and letting God deal with it. You, now's the time. Let the glory of God come. Let me, whatever it is you're holding on to, it, it, it pales in comparison to the glory. It's what Paul said. He said, the sufferings of this present season are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed. So whatever it is you may be facing, it is, it is nothing it is nothing in the light of his glory and his presence. Lord, right now, hear. Hear the sounds of your people. Lord, right now, I ask you to, to, to smell the smells of death. Lord, as we yield, as we yield to our agenda and our will, and we begin to say, thy will be done. It is all about you. It is all about you. Hallelujah. Take just another moment or two. Come on, do business before God here. I know this isn't, this isn't church as usual. I remember years ago, I was told, you got to keep, keep it high energy. You got to keep it moving. You got to keep it rolling. You can't give them dead time. That's hype. We're looking for glory. We're looking for glory. If you don't know what to pray, then begin to pray in the Spirit. See, God's moving. I can tell you right now, the Lord is starting to move. The Lord's beginning to move. 
Just take a moment. We've, we've got plenty of time here. We don't tarry in his presence like we used to. Wow, don't do that on a Sunday morning. That's the best time. Let's just tarry for just a minute in his presence. That's why we've come to come in contact with God. Thank you, Lord. I want everyone to stand. Would you just stand right where you are? And can I get some singers? And maybe I can get my percussion back and my bass guys back. Guitar players, just come quickly, swiftly. Everybody that's on the music. Come on, let's keep in the presence of God here right now.
Generation. 